Are you um using that coffee mug or just drinking your Coke? <laughs> Are you going to drink that coffee? <laughs> I didn't know there was coffee in it already. Hey, hey press record. No, wait. You don't have to press it on that since we're doing it on here. All right, so tell me. Are go you ahead. Sure? Yeah, we're good to go. We're starting right now. We've been we've been starting. You're so good. we have to cut this whole stuff out. Okay, that's fine. Well, that's not fine. not we you. <laughs> it actually won't be that bad. I probably won't even cut it. CD and D two coming at you. Are you sure we don't have to press record on this? Look, man. All right, I may, I may be late. I may not know where the SD card is, but I know what I'm doing. CD, D two. Wes Brown, <laughs> coming at you recorded and direct from the classic cast where we just roll with it. Let me start by introducing our special guest. Danny, we did a bad job introducing Quattro the last time, so we got to do a better job right here. Wes Brown, the pastor of First Baptist Plumberville. Is it Plumberville or Plumerville? It's Plumerville. They decided to spell it wrong like in the 70s. Okay. It used to be two M's. Okay. And I hate the English language. Should have been to it should be Plumerville now. Correct. They should suffer the consequences of their decisions sometimes. Okay, First Baptist Plumerville, also a student, uh auditor slash academic person here at Grace Bible Theological Seminary. Wes, you and I have gone to seminary together ever since I started seminary. Just about every class that we've done. Um, I remember our first class together was, don't tell me, apologetics, right? Yes, sir. It was that semester we did apologetics. Then we did New, New Testament history, or no, New Testament survey. On and on. So Wes Brown and I go way back. In fact, I don't know seminary without knowing Wes Brown. It's great to have you on the cast this morning. Good, brother. Well, it's good to be here. I, I was thinking every time the Olympics are on, they always say, I, I wish they'd put a normal person there. You know, just to get some sort of gauge for how amazing the athletes are. And I always feel like that normal person. Like that's I'm the embodiment of that idea when I when I'm here. And so uh yeah, I'm just glad glad to be here. It's a privilege. Yeah. Hey, I don't view it that way at all, as far as you've been a normal normal person. In fact our listeners have already discerned this very quickly, that you have a super normal voice. You have the voice of a Kodiak bear. From the forests of Alaska. <laughs> Beautiful voice. You know, just the podcasting voice. I'm going to give you that, and I'm not going to let you slide without giving you that compliment. So, yes, great to have you here. Um, you know, it's, it's typical classic cast. We just figure it out as we go, which our professional way of saying that is we just roll with it. Just roll with it. It's translated as don't really know what we're doing, just figuring it out as we go step by step. Um, and you, you've seen that firsthand this morning, what all goes in front of a typical classic cast episode out of disorganization, but man, we just slap it together and make it look good. At least we try to. You're oh, actually you're a, doing it. No, this is a, this is a professional, <laughs> this is a professional level production here. Yeah. You got an Apple computer and some sort of sound equipment here. I mean, these microphone stands. We do have some good sound equipment. I can say that. Now, how to, whether or not we know how to use it, yeah, is the different. <laughs> we have all these. Thing. We have all these rainbow colored buttons on this sound machine that I feel like would be really cool to use, but I have no clue how to use them. 
it is what it is. Um, which, speaking of pronunciation, um, one thing that we got to get out of the way, so let me back up and say, this morning we are going to... We're, we're done with uh, prolegomena of reform dogmatics, Herman Bavink. Yes. Now you're saying Bavink too. Uh, Bavink. Quattro influenced you negatively. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good run. Yeah. It was a good, good run. Good run. Good first book. Good good book for us to figure some stuff out. Um, uh, I'm glad you motivated us to do that and get the podcast going. I would say this book that we're doing today is another, it's kind of like, it's it's the opposite category of the kind of Christian literature we want to discuss on this podcast. So, uh, Reform Dogmatics Volume 1 is kind of like meaty, technical, theological, uh, which is good. I think we should read through that. Um, so, Wes, this podcast is an excuse for Cole and I to read books that we haven't read. Uh and all this podcast does is give us accountability to, to actually read them. To do it. Yes. That's literally all. And, and an excuse to hang out and talk about the books, not just read them. Yeah. So um, that's that's literally all the podcast is. That's the only reason it exists. We're not here to build the platform, gain a following. It's an excuse to hang out. Um, but because we have a podcast, our friends... Uh, feel like they should get up and be here at 5 a.m. to record with us. Yeah, yeah. Or we at least make them feel that way. We try to <laughs> obligate them into that. Uh, so this book is uh, the the opposite of, it's kind of on the other end of the spectrum. So we want to do theological classics like that, but we also want to do uh, a really um, solid devotional literature as well. Basically, anything within the Christian Catholic, uh, Christian Christian classics literature. Um. So yeah, introduce the book, Cole. So yes, um, the first thing that we got to get out of the way, though, and Wes, you've shown your etymology skills with with words and why they're pronounced the way that they are. Is it Scoogle or Scalgle? Meaning like Henry Scalgle, the the author. I've always said Scoogle. My my um, theory on pronunciation of names of people who are now deceased is confidence is king. You just got to say it. If I said it's Scowgale, <laughs> and just correct everyone who ever says Scoogle, eventually people start saying Scowgale. Sounds like a, he sounds like a Lord of the Ring character now. Or, yeah, a Skyrim By video the game. way, yeah, not knowing that it's that. It was dwarves who were going in the Hobbit, and that Bilbo was the Hobbit. I mean, the name is the Hobbit. Yeah, not a gaggle of hobbits <laughs> go to see Smaug. Yeah, yeah, I totally messed up on that one. Hey, <laughs> I've done that before, though. I don't, I don't know why. You know how I know our podcast is unsuccessful is because that's literally the only thing that I've heard. 
Uh, oh, I listened to the podcast. Yeah, I can't believe Cole didn't know that there were <laughs> that it wasn't hobbits that were going to find the treasure. Yeah. No, the key to getting a response. I mean, that's a, I can't remember what rule it is. It would be a perfect opportunity to say the wrong rule because the rule is if you want to get a response on the internet, it's not ask what the right answer is, but to give the wrong answer, and you'll be corrected. If you want, you can ask a question. And no one will care to answer. But say something wrong, and then you'll get a ton you'll of get feedback. get the masses. Yeah. That's why CNN is so famous. They, do a, they really do lean heavily on that rule. Yeah. 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 So I, I would believe that rule for sure. So, okay. Scowgill, I say Scoogle. It's it's Scoogle. It is Scoogle. <laughs> which is why I hate the English language even more. How do you spell out? Like out? Out. How do you spell it? O-U-T. O-U-T. So why is Google's name S-C-O-U? That would be Al then, right? Scowgle. This whole time, everybody's saying Scoogle, and he's in the grave like, No, it's Scowgle. It's Scowgle. Which we wouldn't even really recognize a lot of the English he spoke anyway. So, Well, that is a, that's a good, good point. I'll point this out too. Just as an introduction, just a little personal introduction. I got this book from my grandmother, and and she's by the book, you know, follows the follows the unwritten Christian rules that we've developed over the past few decades. Um, you know, the rule is you have to capitalize God, God. Though I won't get into the fact how the original languages don't typically capitalize God, but that's beside the point. She opens the book up to the table of contents, and she starts looking through the table of contents. And on the left side of the page, with this Free Grace Press publication, um, she looks on at the top of the page, and it says, The Life of God and the Soul of Man. Only issue is, it didn't capitalize God. And because she is so by the book, she said, Oh, Cole, that ain't good. <laughs> He didn't capitalize G. You're supposed to do that. And I thought it'd be one of those things she'd kind of overlook, but like for the next five minutes, she was very peacefully and pleasantly reminding me that that is not a good thing that they didn't capitalize the G in the life of God and soul. I doubt she even read it for that reason. Then again, she might have. Um, Very easy read. I don't want to do all the talking on this. We have our famous guest in the building with us, Wes. What is your take on the life of God and the soul of man, and why should we or should we not read this book? Well, I think I'm, I make an excellent book salesman because unlike so many uh, scholars here, I'm not a natural reader. Uh, if I'm given free time and uh, no, no uh, moral uh, you know, uh, impressions on what to do with that time, uh, I won't choose reading as as a way to pass that time. I, I just never was a, a natural reader. And so if I both read a book and enjoy the book, it's a, a good and beneficial book and that is that's this one. It's a uh, it's just like a, it's just like so many of the Puritans, man, they they you, they got the uh reputation of being dry and rigid and cold and they're the exact opposite of that it's it's so encouraging to read the puritans because they actually 
struggled through what it means to follow Christ and struggled in it and wrote about it. And uh, so I, I got to thinking as as I was reading through it and just how deep it is and encouraging it is. And then on the very first page, it's got uh, Scowgale's uh, lifespan. It's got it's got Scoogle's lifespan. <laughs> and uh, he died at 27. No way. What? I'm that's a pastor, wild. so that's I'm wild. not. Wow. That's wild. How I, old was he when he wrote this book? Well, Please don't say something like 17. Less than 27. But I just got to, I got the, you know, that feeling that's the, that story of Caesar before when he was reading about Alexander, he was standing before a statue of Alexander the Great, and he just wept because he was the same age Alexander was when he died. And by that time, Alexander had conquered the whole world. Yeah. And yeah. he was a serving a as a government position in Spain and I'm I'm 33 and I just look at like this guy died when he was 27 and he's written something so profound and and heartfelt and deep and beneficial to the church for you know almost 400 years it's just just absolutely incredible yeah you y'all y'all will know that feeling as you you know what are you are you 19 <laughs> 25 as a matter of fact <laughs> speaking of which how old are you i'm 33 33 mm. born in 1988 you got good skin for a 33 year old i think it's that big old beard taking all the sunshine yeah so you can't see it <laughs> you, got, you, got, you got good skin for a 33 year old no, no. there's going to be a lot of 33 i have a lot of 33 year old friends they're going to be so offended at me saying that uh, look chase i'm sorry for saying that brother don't don't hold that against me chase is 33 he's actually yeah 33 34 okay. i have sisters that are 36 so man really 33 is not old at all to me nothing That's like nothing can make me feel old since i was been in youth ministry and this was years ago you're gonna live to be like 200 working in youth ministry there was a there was a, a senior talking to a sixth grader, and they got on the discussion of what year they were born. He's like, oh, I was born in 99. And she looked at him, she's like, you were born in the 1900s? <laughs> <laughs> and I like, I could feel my hair going gray in that moment, just going, man. Uh, man. In the, in the last century? <laughs> you know, I actually feel that way about them. I work with somebody who was born... Um, Oh man! Wow, two thousand and three. Like, what a kid! Yeah, to be born in the two thousands. Yep. Yeah, I, I I see that still though. Like, you know, you bring up Alexander the Great, Calvin writing the Institutes at twenty six, um, crazy numbers like that. So, I'm coming to you as a church member of First Baptist in Plummerville, great church by the way. I got to preach there a few weeks ago. I'm thankful for your church. If I was your church member and I said, "Okay, look, I don't really have time to read this book. Give me give me the give me what he's trying to say. Give me the quick summary. What what are the points that I need to know from this on the fly? What would you say?" I would say he's given you a, a 30,000 foot view of what it is uh, to be a Christian and what it, what the Christian life is. And uh y'all were discussing that the saying Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, and sort of the, the, the pros and cons of that slogan. Well, he, he 
showing and he's writing a letter uh, to someone telling them what the what Christianity is and it's uh, the divine life it's God living within you and what that looks like on a day-to-day basis and so if you want to know what it should look like to be a Christian the the the, the branches or the fruit that that grow from the divine life living and residing within you then that's what's found in this book and mm. and it walks you through it and it makes sense it's not like you say over it's not overly technical um but it it, it is in in its brevity i think it is thorough in in what it covers and and i think he does an excellent job contrasting it with uh what it doesn't look like and uh, with the struggle um and and how we seek for it and the tools that we need um, to increase our faithfulness and and our affections to God. Mm. That's good. I, I I try to remember what biography it was. It, it was an audio biography that somebody gave of George Whitfield. It was so. I'm going to try to narrow it down. It was either. Dr. Brian Borgman out of Nevada or Dr. John Piper. You know, everybody knows John Piper, who was given an autobiography of or, or a biography, audio biography of George Whitfield, and they mentioned this book and how it was instrumental in really you uh bringing up Christian true Christian doctrine that convicted George Whitfield in the process of his conversion. And as George Whitfield was was reading this, he he read this book and um, ends up coming to Christ through various means. And, and George Whitfield says this about this book: "I never knew what true religion was till God sent me this excellent treatise. Um, it's very short, easy to read. The reason that I bring up George Whitfield is to lead me to my first specific question in this." Um, so George Whitfield is is reading this book, and he comes a- along uh, what you just mentioned, the divine life. But he also comes along um, what Scalgale says is the opposite of the divine life, which is the carnal life. And Schugel starts to define and describe what the carnal life is, and he gives some things that we would all expect. Okay, the person who is exceedingly prideful you know we would say they're the people who are at the pro-abortion rallies and they're they're, they're living deeply and saying they love it they're not trying to block it they're are religious they don't want anything to do with religion um their god is their belly and what all that entails we we don't have to go into what that looks like Every, everybody knows what that looks like but he also starts to define the carnal life in ways that would would surprise us and he does this on on free grace press edition page 16 so it's going to be you know first part of your first chapter Wes and in, in your particular um edition but he starts to define the the carnal life by saying though orthodoxy Good works and religious emotions are a part of the Christian life. They are frequently mistaken to be the heart of the Christian life. But even worse, wickedness is often attached to these things. By wickedness, I don't speak of the gross impieties of the heathen who refuse to have anything to do with God. Rather, I speak of the wickedness 
that is often carried out in the name of religious zeal. There are too many professing Christians who justify their pride and harsh severity toward others as a holy passion for God. He continues on and he adds to this of what he's talking about in chapter 2 on page 26. And he says this on page 26, The carnal life, when it is neither overpowered by religion nor governed by natural reason, leads natural men into all kinds of evil. But if the carnal life is restrained by religion or reason, it will often disdain the grosser sort of vices and appear to love virtue and goodness says on the next page, the carnal nature motivated by self-love may even be disposed to no small height of religious devotion. That is scary. Uh-huh. When we talk about the carnal life, we think of all these ugly, open sins that should lead people to shame. But what Google is saying about the carnal life is that it could also be a way of life where the person has a natural propensity or a natural personality to living out certain sort of religious um, duties. They like order. They like a good, clean, moral life. Um, They may even like some things about the Christian religion, but they're still carnal. What's your thoughts on that, both of you? It reminds me of a, once again, I, I can't corroborate the account. But it's a story, I think it's passed around by Ab- about Abraham Lincoln, who was driving in a wagon with a friend, and they crossed over a bridge, and there was a, a sow, a pig that was stuck in the mud. Have you heard this, Danny? Yeah. Okay, so I'm not making it up. <clears throat> anyway, he pulls the wagon over. The sow didn't belong to him. He doesn't know who it belongs to. It's just stuck there. And he gets down in the mud, and he pulls the sow and and all, and everything out. Gets and sets him sets him free. Gets back in the wagon, and his friend is just kind of astounded. At, you know what an altruistic act he just performed. And basically, he said, "No, it, it was selfish." He said, "I couldn't have lived with myself if I hadn't have done that." And so, what seems to be on on the outside, this act of altruism and and just love that the selfless was actually a selfish act because he wouldn't have liked the feeling that he would have had driving down the road had he not stopped and helped. Mm. And it's this, that's what that's what Google's talking about here is that there is a, a a sense in which we can practice religion out of a self love because it, it we like the feeling that we get from practicing it and so that it it, sh- it should cause all of us pause because I, I think the the general assumption is if we're at church or we're participating in religious activity, if we're reading the Bible, if we're in prayer and we're enjoying it, then that's the height of what we can achieve as Christians when, in fact, we could be not even saved in the first place because those uh, those things are good. Church is a wonderful, marvelous thing. A church family is an, is an amazing, uh, you know, just privilege to be a part of. The, the Word of God holds truth. And wisdom, and I mean, the longest psalm talks about just how beautiful and wonderful and and helpful the law of God is. 
So all of those things it, it can be practiced in, in an act not of loving God, but of loving self. Mm. And that should cause us to go into what he he talks about what the Puritans practiced, which was just a deep sense of self-reflection of of everything I do. Why am I doing it? Because it is could be, in fact, a, a selfish act. Yeah, two two things. Uh, one uh, one of the reason why reasons why I think this book is so beneficial is because I think that our our day and our context is not so different than Henry uh, Scoggle. It's actually Scoggle. Oh, okay, yeah, Scoggle. <laughs> I tried to trick you. Need to ask yeah. Doctor Strachan. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think uh, the right person to ask would be like Dr. Joel Beaky or someone like yeah. that. It's actually Beak. <laughs> no, no, I know that. I know, I know that one's not right. Hey, I don't want to. I don't want to mess with the Dutch Reform. Yeah, yeah they'll come. They'll yeah. come find you, and they'll bring about thirty of them, and it's all one family. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, basically, Google's trying to preach or minister. In a day where everyone's Christian, um, everyone's got the external Christian uh, religion. They grew up Christian. They went to church, and so it's to many of them, it's foreign in their mind that, <clears throat> oh, what, wait, what do you mean? You know, I'm I'm a Christian. I grew up Christian. Um, you know, born and raised Christian in the church. Uh, you know what? You know what do you mean? These things aren't don't don't make me a Christian. Don't don't tell me that I'm a Christian. And our our day is very similar. And so what? It's that's fading. Uh, that's fading. But even in uh, so much of the evangelism that I take part in, um, very few people still still say no. I'm not a Christian. I'm an atheist or I'm agnostic or or whatever. Still, the majority of people that I meet, just meet in general or meet for evangelistic purposes, they still claim Christianity or ex- at least a mm-hmm. belief in God. Um, so not so much Christianity. I should change that. That Not so much, uh, yeah. It may well, have they, been downgraded to conservative. Uh, <laughs> but they even have a respect for Jesus, though, to your point. You would talk to talk about Jesus, and they say, yeah, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, it's I believe in Jesus. I believe in God, but they're they're making their own, they're making their own Jesus, their own God. But right. the, the, but the, um, uh, but the, the shell of a Christian society here in the South in the United States is still there. It's is the default setting is that there's a God, um, and if they grew up in the church, yeah, they're a Christian, even if they don't even if they don't practice or whatever. And what Google's trying to do is is um is kind of preach or teach with this book it's trying to shine light or ignite the true Christian life. That's what I would that's what I would rather say. I don't think he's got an axe to grind in this book in saying, "Hey, all these people are fake Christians, but I think that he's trying to mm. ignite because the book doesn't read polemical. 
The book doesn't right. read argu- argumentative, but rather he's trying to ignite and fan the flames of a true Christian life and mm. say, hey, it's not it's not a dead orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is important, but orthodoxy doesn't make you a Christian. Yeah, uh, That's not what pr- produces in you the Christian life. And so what does? Uh, it's the life of God. It's that That's what the Christian life is. And then it's just chapter by chapter by chapter talking about the divine life and and the experiential Christianity that, that that produces. Yes. To piggyback off of one more thing, to piggyback off of what Wes just said, like you you don't um I forget the way you phrased it, but you can like kind of like you can like church and not be a Christian or so, or something like that. Uh, one of the most um, impactful sermons in uh, in my Christian life so far is um, early on in college. I went to the Passion Conference. Y'all know what that is, right? Mm-hmm. You know what that is? Yeah, mega megalith conference in Atlanta every year, um, geared at like college age students. Um, I went with a college group, and first time I've heard of of John Piper really and he's preaching a sermon there and the we're in a packed like arena and um just thousands of you know college age students there oh he's about to drop the elbow uh, and uh and he says he says hey hey you can enjoy this conference and not be a Christian mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like what I'm like who is this guy <laughs> he's like what's not to like he said it's it's great music all these people who, um, you know, it's it's going to be very inspirational. Basically, all these people who, you know, they're come together to serve or worship a higher purpose. He was just like, no, you can enjoy all of this and not be a Christian. Mm. And um, so he was doing in that sermon what a lot uh, or what what Google was trying to do in the book. Um. And, uh, yeah, some, I mean, just light bulbs started coming on during that sermon and be like, man, who's this guy and where is he coming from? And, yeah. and, uh, th- this is like, this is like this sermon's being beamed in from like a UFO somewhere or something. Cause I've never heard anything like mm. this. It, it, I mean, I think it is. And I, he opens up, I mean, it, it starts with a bang because he starts, he starts with, it's not orthodoxy. Um, it's not, uh, it's not your good works. It's not good works and it's not, um, affections or, or it's not emotions. Yeah. Religious emotions. You know, fervor. And uh, so much of Christianity is, is seen as, it's just positional, you know, it's, or it's like, uh, an affiliation. Yeah. Like, are you a member of the Rotary Club or are, you know, mm-hmm. are you, are you a member of this or that? Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm all I'm all those things. And it's the the claim of Christianity is that you have God most high and the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, mm. vivifying you and uh molding you into his image. Yeah. Yeah. So many good points there, Danny. I'm I'm thankful that you pointed that out because to your point on on his point of the per I said point like seven times in that sentence. To sound your like, sound like Kamala Harris point. now. <laughs> your point was very pointed and 
you had a good point with your point. Um, you get to Skugel's purpose of the book because his purpose is not to hammer the carnal Christians. He, in fact, he talks about it a few times at the very first part of the book, but then he spends the rest of the time talking about what Christianity is. Yeah. Yeah. So a very small fraction of what it is not. Um, very big, big portion of the book on what Christianity is. Um, but then also you brought up another good thing, both of y'all did, with where we live at. It's almost expected that you live out some of the Christian religion, no matter what, with us being in the Bible Belt. This is how deeply it has permeated our culture. It works its way out and things like this. And I've, I think that there's, real quick, sorry to interrupt. No, you're fine. But there's positive and negative aspects to that. Sure. Like I'm actually, sure. I'm actually appreciative that Absolutely. I live in this culture and society that has the shell of Christianity. Yes, I would much prefer that, just out of personal preference. Uh, than, common grace, a lot of yeah. common grace from this. Yeah. Abraham Kuyper would love where we live at. I, so, in saying this, I'm not knocking our culture either. So thankful for it. But a lot of the carnal life that Skugel is talking about flows through this. In fact, this culture can be conducive for the carnal life, just like, I mean, you know, there's no perfect culture, and sin is deceptive in every way. Um, but I have an older family member who will do stuff like this. They'll, they'll look at their other younger family members and say, you know, I'm just so sad that so-and-so is not in church right now. Now, granted, so-and-so is lost as a goose, hates the triune God, would tell you if you asked him, um, wants nothing to do with Christianity. The only issue that this said family member sees in so-and-so's life is that they're not in church. I just I just wish that they would get in church. Um, that is to say, in some sense, knowing this person well enough that if so-and-so got back in church, all is well. Just get back in church. If you get back in church, your your life is going well, you know, and it's not, the reason for it is not a matter of glorifying God and being a part of the, you know, all these theological things we could come up with. It's not, it's not for that. It's just a matter of the mark of a religious or good life is being a member of a church. And on the flip side, there are people who, who believe that and, and they've gotten on the right side of history by just getting a part of church. They Maybe they like the community there. Um, if it's big enough and the music is beautiful enough, what's not to like about it, in the words of John Piper? Um, so, yeah, it works its way out in that. You know, I, I just like being a part of a church when school is saying that's not what the Christian life is that's at right. all. And I'm, I'm going to make that personal for me. You know, I could... I could um, fill out this checkbox every single day. I read my Bible. I did this. I did all these things that a religious person should do. I'm good. This makes me be introspective. No, 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 no. It, the Christian life is yeah. more than that. It's union with God. Yeah. It's loving him. It's living for him. It's uh, meditating on him, as he would say later on in this book. It's it's a deep, true, living sanctification. Wes used the word vivica- vivification. It's what it is. Danny, you were going to say something. Yeah. That's the hard thing about, uh, I think that's a reason why this book is important, but that's a hard thing about sometimes evaluating these things. Because at the same time, I, I agree with 
Schoolgirl and what you guys are talking about that mere membership is a sign of a Christian life. Like like what Wes is good examples of the Rotary Club or your gym membership or or whatever. Uh, that oh I yeah, okay I'm a member because I signed up, got accepted, paid my pay my dues or whatever. But what's hard and we got to be careful is because church membership is a sign of of a healthy christian life like uh church membership doesn't produce the christian life but anyone who is a healthy christian who does have the life of god in their soul uh will be or at least desire to be a church member and so how do we how do we te- or how do we uh, uh cut that straight and this is what uh even going back to the quote that that Wes talked about that orthodoxy, good works, and religious emotions, um, Schugel says, are um, uh, he says though <clears throat> though they are part of the Christian life, they are frequent frequently mistaken to be the heart of the Christian life. So what we're talking about here <clears throat> is the dis- distinction between uh, the root mm. or the produce the. <clears throat> what produces the Christian life, and then what are the fruits of the Christian life? So uh, we're not we're not saying that orthodoxy, good works, church membership, religious emotion, or zeal doesn't matter. But what we're saying is that that doesn't that is not what produces or makes you a Christian. Exactly right, and I, that's one thing. I, like I was saying earlier, you can you can tell when someone when you're reading someone. And they, they've actually struggled through their sanctification. They've actually wrestled in it. And that's what I was talking about. You can tell Google has because that one of the things that I, I've struggled with in, in my Christian walk is just just what we're talking about. The knowledge that reading my Bible every day doesn't make me a Christian. Mm-hmm. And in fact, being a Christian should mean that I want to. Mm. read my bible every day and so i get up in the morning and i don't want to read my bible well, what do i do there's been so many mornings there's been so many mornings in my walk where i don't do it because well if i don't want to do it am i even you know what what is that what is that saying about the the state of my soul and and uh so it, i'm I, there's no that's I don't have that fruit, and so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just do it for religious activity, and to busy myself. And Google goes over that. You can tell Google's he's uh he's gone through that because he goes over that that there's sometimes you don't feel like it, but you still do things that will stir your affections once more. Because the answer is not disobedience, mm. and so just yeah, just because being a church member doesn't make you a, a Christian doesn't mean you forego church membership, or just because reading your Bible doesn't make you a Christian doesn't mean you forego reading your Bible. That's a it's a, that's a silly, a silly idea that I've fallen into many times. Because I, I you know ha- having this idea that if it's not joyful obedience you know where mm. I'm, I'm just jumping up and down you know clapping my hands while i'm reading my bible then it then it doesn't count or that it's you know 
it's it's not beneficial. But we can't look to church membership for our salvation. But like Danny said, it is a fruit of salvation. And one of the fruits of our of our salvation and the life of God within us is that we persevere and that he perseveres us in the midst of seasons and times where our affections wane. And he mentions, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, being mentioned in Isaiah's uh, a, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench and that tenderness of Christ and and uh, that's the kind of stuff that's just so encouraging to me because I, I fall into those I can spiral in my Christian life uh, I guess just gazing navel gazing and, and getting so consumed and the way I think and the way I feel or in that moment or in that time and, and forego obedience using the knowledge that orthodoxy and religiosity are not uh, salvific. Yeah. Yeah, those are good points. Um, so th- this next question that I have for you, and this is framed for you as a pastor. Um, so seems like there's a, a lot of a, a balance in this and that it's easy for us to fall to the extreme one side or the other. Um, you mentioned, you know, if I don't do it joyfully, if I'm not obedient joyfully, then I shouldn't do it at all. I've seen people struggle with that so much that they question if they're even saved. Oh, well, I, I don't want to read my Bible, and I haven't wanted to read it in a year now. Am I even saved? Which, all right, we are back. We are back. We're back online, recording. Okay, yeah. So, kind of dropped off there. Um, continuing to roll with it. So, the question that I was going to ask you, Wes, as a pastor, how do you pastor someone into the divine life? And in case you missed the first part of the question, what is the divine life? So, kind of talk about what Schugel says the divine life is, and kind of mesh that into reality what it looks like as a real christian um and then how do you pastor that because you remember he he talks about the divine life and it has a lot to do with charity purity humility um he gives a lot of good things on what the divine life can be such as sanctification um he talks about how we must battle against sin um, we must not expect sanctification to be done without corresponding endeavors of our own as he says um, on and on. He gives prayer. He talks about the benefits of all aspects of the divine life, such as purity, humility. Um, I'm rambling now. What, what What do you got on that question? Well, with respect to this, to this sort of the struggle that there is that we that we were sort of discussing earlier on obedience and the knowledge that obedience doesn't doesn't save us, but that Obedience is a necessary fruit of salvation. I, I just there's a there's a couple quotes in here that that I really love, and I'm I'm reading the uh, the older version here. Um, but in talking about our affections and how they aren't always they don't always burn as as brightly as as they should, he says it is true. This divine life continueth not always in the same strength and vigor but many times suffers sad decays and holy men find greater difficulty in resisting temptations and less alacrity in the performance of their duties. Yet 
it is not quite extinguished, nor are they abandoned to the power of those corrupt affections which sway and overrule the rest of the world. And so in, in pastoring through it, I'm not trying to talk anyone into or out of the kingdom. I, I just want, I can't answer that for anybody. But I can present to them the realities and the truth, and then the Holy Spirit's going to have to, to do that work. The truth is, there are times when my affections are not, don't, don't burn as brightly. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the glorious thing is that it's not extinguished and that it, it, doesn't, over, it doesn't overtake me. And in and, and, and talking of assurance, he says, And he who hath attained them needs not desire to pry into the hidden rolls of God's decrees or search the volumes of heaven to know what is determined about his everlasting condition. But he may find a copy of God's thought concerning him written in his own breast. His love to God may give him assurance of God's favor to him. Mm. And so just looking looking for the divine life within you instead of making it a sort of mechanical and, and, and that, well, I, I, I read my Bible 20 days out of the last 30, 31, am I a Christian, you know, and I only enjoyed it 18 of those times. You know, instead of trying to make it a mathematical equation, what, what we're looking for is the life. And instead of trying to find some sort of definitive answer, like we're searching for the Holy Grail, where you can open the book and find your name in it, well, God's revealed his disposition towards you in the love that you have for him, if indeed you do have a love for him. Mm. And so pastoring through that, trying to walk, my, I've try to walk myself through that and walk others people people through it. That's that's not a a one time answer. And I, I think the in talking about sloganeering, you know the the, the once saved always saved uh, slogan that gets passed around so often. I don't think is very helpful because so often people, when speaking about their salvation, they go back to a point in time where they experienced conversion mm. and looking for their assurance. When mm. the Puritans teach us and show us that, no, you should be looking to yesterday. You should be looking to this moment now for for assurance. Because like we've said, anybody can have a religious experience. Anybody can, mm. uh, can adhere to orthodoxy. And anyone's affections can be uh, roused even toward God for a certain period of time. But our assurance is found in the preservation and in the continuation of the of the victory over those things and and that's what I find most valuable in mm. in, in this book concerning, you know, pastoring people through just a day to day walk with with the Lord. Yeah. Amen. That's good. Uh, <clears throat> and uh quattro put us in the coffin and now Wes Brown just dumped the jump, dumped the dirt on the coffin <laughs> of this podcast. Yeah. Piling, piling on one, the one saved, always saved. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Quattro. Yeah. Quattro. If we had a big audience, which we don't, 
we would have lost it with Quattro. Yeah. And then you just you just did the deed by calling out once saved, always saved doctrine. <laughs> You're yeah, welcome. They, d- <laughs> they decided to come back just a little bit to give us another try. And they heard that, that's why I left in the first place. <laughs> I knew it. These bearded guys from the central Arkansas area. I think of a verse, as you say that, First Peter 1, 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You know, tying that in with conversion, it's not, oh, no, one time I expressed publicly a love for Jesus, or at least the benefits that he gave, but rather it is now we love him. Um, Because even the person who struggles with joyfully doing the duties of Christianity as they should do, and it is a duty, though it should be a joyful duty, um, even if they struggle with the joy part, they should be able to say, I love Jesus, I love my Lord, and I don't see him, I never have seen him, but I love him. That's that's convicting for me because I can get, personally, I can get caught up on the side of, oh man, yeah, I've read my Bible for a long time and haven't really struggled with it, but do I really love him, and is my love for him growing? Um, how am I living out that love for him, or am I forgetting my love for him? And you know, J.C. Ryle gives a chapter on this and listening to this in the audiobook version. Talk about convicting. Uh, in what book? Uh, holiness. We're going to do that one on here too. Yeah, we should. It's such a good, it's a good it's book. such a good book. Man, he, he, the way he asked the questions, do you love him? Hmm. I know you do all these things. I know that you, you haven't struggled with him and you're probably excelling in all the religious duties. Do you love Christ? And. So often it's easy to get lost in really the weeds, as we would say, or the, the tedious things and studying deeper theology and seminary and stuff. At the end of the day, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is do we love him? I want to read a quote that um, Schugel says on love, under the heading, the, excell- the Excellency of Love, in chapter 4. He says, the worth an excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. He who loves base and vile things does thereby become base and vile. But a noble and well-placed affection does advance and improve the spirit into conformity with the perfection that it loves. In other words, we become what we love. A few paragraphs later, he says, The true way to improve our souls is to fix our love on the divine perfections so that we may have them always before us and derive an impression of them on ourselves. By beholding with open face as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we may be changed into the same image from glory to glory. Just dropping truth bombs Mm. in there. We become what we love. G.K. Bill writes a book, We Are What We Worship. Mm-hmm. Now, tying that into with, with our context, which our context is not so much different than Google's context was, as, as D2 points out. In doing evangelism and stuff, we've, we've gotten to see both sides of this. 
we've gotten to see how sin is irrational and sin leads to irrationality, not just in the mind sense, but in, in one's very essence, one becomes vile and, and base, as Google says, if they love their own freedoms or their own quote unquote rights. Um, if they uh, if they love the things that they live in that are just so godless, they become that. So when you start preaching to these people, you're preaching not only against what they're doing, you're preaching against them, which is why I think people get so offended so quickly. Because, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but it's it's something that we're living in. It's this context that we have to face, and, and people can talk about it a lot. There's a reason why so many people are talking about this. The overturning of Roe v. Wade shows the heart of people in this. The overturning of Roe v. Wade was not just a taking away of a simple right, but it was a a damage to many people's very livelihood, which is why they say stuff like, you are going to kill women. In a in a mental sense, they truly think that. The fact that I cannot commit an abortion is killing me, leading to my death. They be, They have loved that so much that they have become that. But not to be polemical but to be positive in this and y'all you guys please take the mic away whenever whenever you see fit but we should see these things and we should love them so much that we become more of them become more of it a verse that i think about and then i'll stop after i speak this verse ephesians 4 forgot what verse it is it says you know we're we're not to put on the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, but we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the more that we love God, the more that we will reflect true righteousness and holiness, not just some empty, apathetic, religious individual but a person created after true righteousness and holiness. I think I, I wonder what you, you think about it uh, with the sort of the the modern belief or, or a tenant that your activities, your enjoyments, your preferences are your identity. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that there's truth in that regard. You know, with respect to what we've been speaking of. They they love their sin so much. They they love their idols so much that they are becoming like them, becoming what they worship, and that's so they're finding their identity. They are identified with their idols, and so you take away the idol, you're taking away a piece of them. If you're harming the idol, you're harming mm. me, and. Uh, that's just maybe that's something that's been obvious to everybody, you know. But I th- I think as there's been a greater freedom to sin and sin openly and sin proudly, as we just got done with Pride Month, th- that reality has come to the fore. That I do become like what I love, and and uh, that's why there's so much vitriol when you do nothing but just speak against it or, or speak the truth in love it's 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 a, to them an act of violence 
because they have loved so passionately uh, their idol that they become like it. Exactly right. And this is this is actually something I'm having to think through right now. So, and which first off, have y'all ever read G.K. Bill's work? We become what we worship. No, I haven't. you haven't. He talks a lot about uh, Isaiah six. So there's a tough passage in Isaiah six, the passage after the one we so often love to quote: "Here I am, send me." And then he says, "I'm going to send you here," and they're not going to understand, seeing they do not understand. On and on and on. And he points out how that's actually an illustration. That's imagery of the people of Israel becoming what they have worshipped. Yeah. So they they are deaf because their idol is deaf. Yeah. 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 They are. They can't speak because their idol can't speak. They have become that very thing. And there's a good cross reference that I just read this week. I'm not going to try to look it up. Um, I think from Psalm 134, maybe how it it explicates that it clarifies those that those who worship them become like them. Yes, that's it. Israel has become that, um, and so yeah, like as he's saying here. You know, you become what you love. You're, it's so deep. It's not a habit. It's not a characteristic. It's your soul. Yeah. You know, let's stick with what Google is saying at this point, or let's, let's draw that out. It is the soul that has become that thing. And now, as you mentioned, we just came out of Pride Month. What is the mantra? What is the main mantra of the Pride religion? Love is love. Love wins. Love, love wins. And and they love that. They have become that, which is, you know, it, it's it's a serious thing. One thing that we want to point out is that it's a religion. You know, it's not just um, a few things that they kind of enjoy here and there, but it's a religion. It's a way of life for people. But, again, to talk about the title, The Life of God in the Soul of Man, when it comes to the Christian religion, and I, I, I so often underestimate this, the fact that God is dwelling within me. And the Christians that Peter was writing to, the, the elect exiles, as he words it, they loved Christ. Therefore, their souls were becoming more Christ-like. That's the, encour- the encouraging thing is the inverse of what we've been talking about. You know them becoming like idols. Is the more your affections are placed on Christ, the more you love Him, the more you become like Him. And uh, that's it's just it's it's so amazing that the promises found in Jeremiah. You know that He'll write His words on your on their heart. That you know just like a young couple in love, they don't need a handbook on how to display affection. You know they they just are going to display affection in every mm. conceivable yeah. way. When you love Christ, you're going to 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 display that and and true when you truly love him you'll become like him mm. it's uh it's it's so encouraging and it's so it's it's it can be it can become scientific and I, I can't remember which puritan who said you know why are you they asked him why are you so precise and he says because i serve a precise god and that's it's, it's true you know we're not to be sloppy with it or you know start rounding or grading on the curve but what God does is come to dwell in us. His life lives within us, and empowered by him, our love and affections grow 
and we're molded into his image. And that's that's what we have. Yeah. Yeah, that's the great that's the great end of the uh, what's called the golden chain of salvation in Romans eight twenty eight and twenty nine. Uh that the the elements or uh process of salvation is to what end? That we may be conformed to the image of of God's beloved Son, Jesus mm. Christ. Like that that's what everything is for from our perspective. Um, we know biblically ultimately it's for the praise and glory of God that um a kind of big picture narrative of scripture is is a recreation i'm good a recreation of okay so what fell in eden is now recreated and it's more glorious than what eden was ever going to be uh so it's it's uh, reclaiming and making even more glorious the worship of God on earth. But from our perspective, our experiential perspective, what's the end of salvation? Why Why would God um, uh, or know and predestine and call and justify and glorify um, to what end from our perspective experientially that we might be conformed into the image of his son? And therefore, then contribute to the worship that he's recreated or reconciled for unto himself. That's right. Yeah, that's good stuff, Danny. One verse that this reminds me of again, another one from Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire so the life of god and the soul of man means that that's what that is that we are partaking in the divine nature not that we become god but that we have such communion with him such union with him which is another thing that he talks about so much union with christ union with god that we are living in such a way that partaking in the divine nature we no longer love our old corrupt ways therefore we are no longer corrupt which we do not become uncorrupt because we do something of course we all know that god has regenerated us into this you know having a pure soul but um as google says on page 75 under the sanctification tab our working out our salvation as we're commanded to do one of those things is loving in such a way and by loving partaking in this divine nature there's something that you were going to say i just i i I really appreciate and i and i want to encourage anyone who is listening uh, and thinking about reading this book one another reason to read this book is because it wasn't written last week and And so it, it doesn't have all of the, the baggage of dealing with what we're dealing with today. He gets to just, he, you know, it, he gets to just write. And so the fruit of having that divine life, of having that love that you, you've mentioned before, he mentions the chief branches are love to God, charity to man, purity, and humility. And just one thing I noticed in my, in my own life, you know, uh, the butchering of the 
love your neighbor as your self-command over the past two years since COVID hit has left me to de-emphasize that in my own in my own life as a reaction to mm-hmm. how it's been mishandled. And so when he's just talking about the chief branches of having the divine life within you and, and just talking about charity to man and, and how that's a necessary a necessary thing it was such a good refresher that and 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 a lesson to me that I, I don't I I can't do theology, I can't do doctrine, and I can't do doxology as a reaction to the culture. Mm-hmm. You right. have to do it by scripture. Right. Right. And so it was just that was really encouraging, and and uh, and why one reason I encourage you people to read uh, guys who lived a long time ago, and you know read guys who aren't just uh, dealing with modern issues. In uh, not that you you ignore those completely. So not just Tim Tebow, just Tim Tebow. Every day. <laughs> yeah. And and two, I'll I'll say it to that point. This book is so easy to read. Even if you're a slow reader, as long as you're a determined reader, you could probably read this book in a week. So it's um, my edition is 117 pages, which the pages short pages, yeah, yeah so short, double spaced. The end, my, you know, mine's 96, but but yeah, uh, a little bigger, like little bigger page size format in your book yeah which which one is yours uh, amazon the amazon special westminster press okay um mine's great if you like to take notes because the margins are like two inches Mm. but uh the the introduction's 25 pages of those 96 so (laughs) like i'm telling yeah it's a it's a you can you can read this book for for a while, this was a book that I read once a year. Just quick little read, very yeah. beginning of the year. Um, not a daunting task at all, which is also why we're spending one um, one episode on this. Not to change too abruptly, and if you guys don't want to go this route yet, if y'all have some points, y'all can bring them up. What's up? Your time? You run alone time? Not well, not time, but battery percentage. Is on five percent. Yeah. Okay. With the time we have, buzzer beater. Best trilogies. Go. You you're talking about movie trilogies? Of course. Well, if Nacho Libre had made three movies, <laughs> it would be the best. It'd be the best trilogy. That'd be at least debatable, at the very least. Is there even a sequel? No. No. Okay. Not at all. No. You can't redo Nacho Libre. There's only one. That's right. Da, 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 da. I think it's an interesting question. Because so many trilogies have one or two excellent movies in them, but, in a in a bad but, well, yeah. So I'll I'll tell the classic example: uh, Indiana Jones. You've got Raiders of the Lost Ark, excellent classic. Last Crusade, which is one of the best movies ever. But you have Temple of Doom sandwich right there in the middle. And it's just almost unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Indiana Jones is a candidate. Yeah, I don't even remember 
much, if anything, from Temple of Doom. <clears throat> all you gotta do is hear the the leading lady scream once, and you it'll all it'll come, it'll come, come back. back. Yep, that's like um, the Hobbit series. The second one was let's just be honest, bad. Uh, the desolation, not desolation of smog, but um, where it's the the main bad guys, the spider and stuff and plus i think they just really tried to stretch it out into a trilogy and that was part of the consequence lord of the rings i think is top contender i would say so i think that's pretty easily the most solid trilogy where there's not a week because i mean for sure you look at the original trilogy of star wars uh return of the jedi kind of a weak entry in my humble opinion yeah some hot takes here I, I actually don't think Star Wars is that good. I don't either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I the the prequels are not good. And the sequels are not good, but the original trilogy is a good trilogy. The fact that there were so many movies too. I'm I, I know that I'm the minority in saying this, but to me if you can't get it across in three movies, like the full story in three movies, it just gets worse. Well, the secret is don't watch the prequels and don't watch the sequels. Mm. Sequels are like the, the, the most latest, the, the latest ones, right? The yep. Disney ones. Yeah, man, I watched one in the movie theater, and there was a lot of action, but it was still it was still bad. What percent are we on, Danny? We're, we're fading. Fading? I guess we can conclude then. I, I, I think I would go with Lord of the Rings because you can, you can watch any three of those movies. And they're all excellent. Two Towers, I think, being my favorite. Yeah, I was going to say that. The Lord of the Rings is not a bad one, right? Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings is so good. I would, I would go so far as to say that the middle one, whereas in trilogies, usually the middle is worse. I was saying Lord of the Rings, the middle is the best. Two Towers is probably the best movie of those Mm -hmm. three. I think part of that, though, the reason why it's solid. um, I'm no film critic. But there's three movies based off of three books. Yeah. Yes. So it's not. Yes. So it's not. Yeah. So it's content like each, each movie can get it. Each book gets its own movie rather than trying to a full length book too. Right. Yes. Right. Not Which is a children's short little. Right. Uh, right. You know. Right. Which is probably why Harry Potter is so good too. Now I understand we're in a Christian circle and Harry. Uh, you're not supposed to watch it. It's so funny to me the people that hate Harry Potter for this stuff overlook like some of the necromancy and lord of the rings like some of the same witchcraft and stuff that go into that it's like you forget aragorn like did the same stuff in movie three right <laughs> but uh, harry potter um, i'm i'm a little rusty on it is is eight or nine movies a trilogy no (laughs) hey the last three movies if we were to call that a trilogy would be good but no we can't call it a trilogy i wasn't trying to call it a trilogy but godfather never seen it that's about um i forgot you're 12 (laughs) that's about the lady that um has a cooking show right Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep that's exactly pretty good movies that's I think Godfather is an example. The first one being one of the best things that you know, one of the greatest films, and then yeah, kind of falling off. But uh, that's why I'm saying it's so hard to put an actual trilogy together. All three movies being so hard. Yeah. Yep. Not just like because I'm, and I know the more people are this way, but I can tell when you're just trying to make money. 
I can tell when you're just trying to make a trilogy just to make a trilogy. Um, Another example, Pirates of the Caribbean. First Pirates of the Caribbean is fantastic. an absolute, I mean, it's just a quintessential summer blockbuster film. And then the next one's... Fall off. Yeah. Even the third one? The third, uh, the third one, I just like need a, a, a pencil and I need a notepad to keep up with it because there's so many plot lines and storylines going on it not this is not as family friendly but the matrix trilogy hey i brought up harry potter so we the godfather so yeah Yeah, we disqualified we disqualified family friendly (laughs) when i brought up the witchcraft i forgot i forgot we were recording godfather's terrible i can't (laughs) believe anyone would watch it (laughs) yeah the the matrix trilogy um it's like sci-fi but Mm. i think that's a solid uh solid trilogy with a pretty relevant storyline, too. Yeah. Uh, Matrix 4, though, I just watched it on a plane. Garbage. Terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. Trying to make I money. I always wonder what They're it would have been like if they would have made a fourth Indiana Jones. I thought the latest one was pretty cool. Opening scene, a nuke has gone off, so you don't know why he's scrambling around in this abandoned city. And he's just scrambling. It's like, what is going on? Takes all the stuff out of the refrigerator, hops in the refrigerator, and everything just blows up and stuff. And I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, all right, anyway. I was joking. If, 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 I refused to acknowledge that they made a fourth Indiana Jones. <laughs> that was the fourth of, one? Yeah, because it was yeah. so garbage. Yeah. All Man, right, I'll, everyone. You take anything away from this, if there's a nuclear bomb, jump in your fridge. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's the frigid air. Those things are cheap. Actually, I have a Frigidaire. Um, I don't know much about refrigeration, so don't take my word on it. What percent are we on? We need to wrap up. CD, D2. By the way, you didn't tell me that you're a second also. CD, D2, W2, coming in like he's got your tax info. Coming at you recorded and direct from the classic cast where we just roll with it. Boys, have a great day. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks, Wes, for coming on. Yes, thank you.